0: Are you serious? We talk about Bible study and worship and fellowship, but are you dedicated to it? In Acts chapter two, it tells us the early church dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching and prayer and fellowship. When we live in community, then and only then can we be in fellowship with one another. But the first step is to show up. Church is designed for us to celebrate with those who celebrate and to mourn with those who mourn. Without fellowship, we can't do that. So I wanna challenge you to dedicate yourself to the ministry of being present. This is the time. Are you dedicated? Thank you, Brian, for that challenge. And again, thank you, Psalm 1 kids. They were awesome today. We're so glad to have them. As I shared with you already, during our welcome, you know that our theme for the fall of 2022 is rededicate. As we're exploring together our theological vocabulary, our biblical vocabulary, the words that begin with that prefix re. And this emphasis in the fall is on rededicate. We're studying 1 Corinthians. And so we have published this booklet, Rededicate, and uh, we have run out of them, I think, three times, so we've reprinted some more, and they're in all of our welcome areas if you wanna get one of them. It's a great explanation for how to study the scripture and a guide for this entire fall season of the year. You know, also, as we're exploring First Corinthians, we're trying to help you grow in your understanding and awareness of how to do this and what the Bible teaches us, so we're offering several other things. Obviously, I'm preaching on Sunday morning through 1 Corinthians. Uh, Katie Hodges and I have a podcast called Tell Me More, and wherever you get your podcast, you can find that podcast there. It's really Katie interviewing me as we talk more about uh, the, the Scripture and the message that I preached the Sunday prior. Also, many of you know that uh, I have a website, thesacramentaljourney.org. You can go there as well and find more resources uh, that will assist you in your study, not just to First Corinthians, but just in general. So with all that said, let's look at today's lesson. Today's lesson, rededicate, your gifts are needed. And the text for us is 1 Corinthians 12. So if you have your copy of the New Testament, I'll invite you to look at that with me. We're going to just read a few selections from 1 Corinthians 12. But the entire chapter really serves as the basis of our conversation today. As, as well as chapter 13 and chapter 14. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 12. We'll begin in verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, if you'll skip down to verse 12. you're the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. You ever get one of those invitations in the mail and to an event, and it says, "We're requesting your presence, but no presence." Don't know what I mean? Your presence, C.E, but not presence. We just want to tell you about our church. We are requesting your presence. And your presence <laughs> Well, so we want you, and we want the gifts that you bring, because your gifts are needed. So here's what I want to do this morning. You know what we've been trying to do is look at this ancient text, go back to the first century and try to understand what was going on in the first century, and then translate it, 2,000 years later, to Arlington, Texas here in 2022 so let's do that what was going on in this church in Corinth that led Paul to write the text that we have just read here's what I would share with you today here's the context the Corinthian church was in chaos with regards to public worship and the utilization primarily of the public gifts of prophecy and tongues That's what's underneath 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. So that's what's happening. You remember that uh, we've talked about this already. Paul's letter that we call 1 Corinthians is a response to what Paul has heard. So he's gotten oral reports from Corinth. It's also a response to what he's received in writing. And so when you're reading 1 Corinthians, Paul is answering what he's heard. I've heard this about you. And he also is answering what they've asked him specifically. Now concerning the letter you wrote. So in this text, this is a part of the response to their letter. Here's the phrase that lets you know that. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning, now about. That's code language for Paul saying, I'm responding to what you've written to me about. About. Now here's what's interesting. Anytime you're translating something from one language to another it can be a little challenging. Paul wrote this letter in Greek and we're reading it today in English. And so to translate it into English sometimes you have to make decisions. So for example if you'll look at the gifts of the Spirit. Paul says now about the gifts of the Spirit. That translates a Greek word spiritual gifts. Here's what's interesting about that word. When you, when you look at the the way that word end the ending on that word and how you decline it as a noun it, uh, it could either be masculine or it could be neuter either one it's the same ending in, in Greek. so Paul could be saying now about the spiritual persons that, that could that could work or about the spiritual gifts most scholars tend to lean toward the neuter if you will and say gifts or things one of my favorite commentators on 1 Corinthians is Anthony Thistleton. He's written the uh, premier commentary on the Greek text of 1 Corinthians. Just a commentary It's about this thick. You get credit just for carrying it around, even if you don't open it. But um, here's what he says. He says, I would translate it like this. Now, about the things that come from the Spirit. And that really is what Paul is saying. The things that come from the Spirit, he says. Now, there are two pronounced and favored gifts in Corinth. So I want you to imagine how this church met in Corinth. They didn't meet like this. They didn't have this big building where everybody came together and went to church on Sunday morning. That's not how it worked. The pagans had this. The pagans had these huge temples all over Corinth temple to Aphrodite and many of them were huge edifices remember we talked about this last week they had these big banquet halls fellowship halls that were part of their buildings that's not what the church had this was years before the church was able to have those kinds of structures the church in Corinth met all over the city of Corinth in groups and they met in house churches in homes and so there were people who hosted gatherings of the people of God in their homes Patrons is typically what they were called in the Roman world, usually wealthier people who owned a home big enough to gather people in. So you had various groups of Christians meeting all over Rome every Sunday for worship, Bible study, fellowship, share the Lord's Supper. And so each one of those house churches had a leader, a pastor, a teacher, someone who was responsible. And when they gathered for worship, Several things happened, as best we can tell in the early church. We know they sang hymns, songs, spiritual songs. We also know they received instruction. Here's how that took place. They had people who had the gift of prophecy, and the prophets would speak in the churches. There was also the gift of tongues, which was unintelligible language. And so when they were gathered together for worship, you had people who were prophesying and people who were speaking in tongues. And evidently, there was great chaos and confusion in these house churches all over Corinth because those were two very public gifts. And they were very pronounced and they were used in public worship. And if you remember, the Corinthians were enamored with anything spiritual. They loved spiritual wisdom. They loved spiritual knowledge. They loved spiritual manifestations. And so they loved particularly these two gifts, prophecy and tongues because they were prominent in their public gatherings. And so there were people in the church who wanted those gifts. They wanted to have the gift of prophecy. They wanted to have the gift of tongues because they wanted to be noticed. They wanted to have this spiritual power. And so it was creating confusion and chaos in the churches. And so people in these churches would invite their friends to come to these homes to worship. And these pagans would come from the city of Corinth come into these homes, and they would see these worship services that were somewhat chaotic. They weren't as ordered as they need to be. And so Paul is saying, okay, I need to address this. So here's what Paul does. He writes them this letter, and in this section, he addresses it. Chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14. All of these, these three chapters are all a part of Paul's response to the church because he's wanting to help them to understand what's going on. Now, let's talk about those two gifts What was the gift of prophecy and what was the gift of tongues? Okay, because those are the two main gifts that Paul's talking about in this text. Well, you and I, we we probably misunderstand it a little bit in our day because when we hear the word prophet or prophecy, what do we think of? What does a prophet do? When you think of prophet, what's a prophet do? Tells the future. A prophet gazes off into the horizon, and predicts the future. That's typically how we view prophet, okay? In the New Testament, that's just a small piece of it, if you will. In the New Testament, prophets were people who were gifted to teach, to really to preach, rather, to the church, to proclaim biblical truth. And so the prophet was someone who prepared something to share with those congregations when they met in those small groups. But there was also the opportunity for someone in the church who was gifted as a prophet to share a spontaneous message, one they had not necessarily prepared for, but just to say, the Lord has given this message to me. And they would share it. Sometimes it had to do with the future. More often than not, it was forth not foretelling. In other words, it was speaking to the situation they found themselves in. A great deal of research has been done to try to understand what was happening when people prophesied in the New Testament. Um, uh, David Hill has written a book on that, and here's what David Hill says He says Christian prophets are those who grasped the meaning of Scripture, perceived its powerful relevance to the life of the individual, the church, and society, and then they declare that message fearlessly. In other words, if I were standing in one of those house churches and I had brought a prepared message from the Scripture, to the congregation, I would have been viewed as a prophet. That would have been a prophecy, if you will, speaking God's truth to God's people at a moment in time. In the New Testament church, both men and women could do what I just described. They could prophesy. It might be a spontaneous message. It might be a prepared message. Okay? For example, look back at chapter 11. Paul gives instructions. He's getting ready to have the conversation with the church about these two issues. But if you look back at chapter 11, verse 4, Paul says, Here's the instructions for a man who prophesies, who stands up, prepares a message, and shares it, or has a spontaneous message from the Spirit of God. Verse 4 of chapter 11, Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Paul says, Men, This is a cultural thing in Corinth. He says, don't cover your head when you stand up to proclaim. Spontaneously or prepared. Look at verse 5. Women, here's instruction for you. Verse 5. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Different cultural condition. The woman who prophesies has to have her head covered. The man who prophesies has to have his head uncovered. It's a Corinthian thing. We'll talk about it later, not today. Point is, men and women both had the opportunity to prepare a message, stand in front of a house church and proclaim the truth, or receive a spontaneous message from God to share with the church. Are y'all still with me? So what is prophecy? Sometimes it's foretelling. Sometimes, more often than not, it's sharing a message directly with the congregation at that moment in time. For example, Acts chapter 21, Paul and his followers visited Philip. Philip was one of the original seven deacons, we call them, in the church at Jerusalem. And Luke tells us when they visited Philip, Philip had four daughters. All four daughters were prophets. They all prophesied. So they all proclaimed truth. What about tongues? Well, tongues is something really different. Every time a prophet got up to speak, you could understand it. You understood what their message was. Glossolalia is the Greek word. Tongues. That is unintelligible language unintelligible utterances, if you will. It's not a foreign language that they hadn't been trained in. In Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit of God was given at Pentecost, the disciples began to speak in languages in which they weren't trained, and everybody understood them in their own language. That's That's not what this is about. This is unintelligible utterances. In other words, when someone in a worship service in Corinth, here in the first century, who had the gift of tongues would stand up and speak in tongues. No one understood what they were saying, not even the person speaking. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, whenever that happens in one of your churches, then you call for an interpreter. And just like the Spirit of God has gifted that person to speak in tongues, somebody else in the church has been gifted to interpret those tongues, and that person will tell the church, this is what God is saying. Paul says, if it happens in your gathering and someone stands up and begins to speak in unintelligible utterances and there's no one there to interpret them, then what? Sit down. If there's no interpreter, sit down. Sometimes they prayed in tongues. People do that still today. It's a spiritual gift. Sometimes tongues are shared in a worship service, but there always has to be an interpreter. Prophets don't need interpreters. Those who speak in tongues do. Both of them are very public gifts. They're very prominent, and they were at play in the church at Corinth, and they were causing confusion. Chapter 14 is a discussion about tongues and prophecy, those two gifts. So here's what's happening in our text. Paul says, now, concerning these spiritual gifts, here's what he does. Chapter 12, he teaches the church some theology. He says, let me explain to you pneumatology, why we have the Spirit of God. Let me explain to you ecclesiology, the role of the church. Chapter 13, Paul says, let me explain to you how powerful love is. And then chapter 14, he says, now let me explain to you how to handle prophecy in tongues. So it all goes goes together. Let me teach you something in chapter 12. It's instructional. Let me challenge you in chapter 13. It's ethical. No matter what you do, Paul says in chapter 13, love each other. Whether you speak in tongues, whether you prophesy, no matter what. Then chapter 14, he says, now here's how to manage prophecy and tongues in a public worship service. Got it. Make sense to y'all? Okay, Now you might be saying that's all well and good. I really couldn't care less about prophecy or tongues because it just doesn't affect my life today. You may be thinking that. And for some of you, it may be true. In our culture, in the 21st century, in the American context, we don't argue a whole lot necessarily anymore about prophecy or tongues. We still have public manifestations of the gift of the Spirit that cause chaos in our churches, though. Just may not be prophecy in tongues. We still have very public gifts that we argue about in the church. Let me point out two of them to you, music and preaching. Those are two very prominent public gifts. I'm in the camp, when I study 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, I would be in the camp that not necessarily all spiritual gifts are listed in those texts. In other words, there, there may be some others that are not spelled out specifically. I'm okay with that. For example, is music a gift? Well, I think music is incredibly important. And some people are just musicians. True? They're just gifted. They just have it. Some of us are not. Some of us are music appreciators or critics, give or take. But there's a gift. And here's the thing, y'all. Music and preaching are both very important. They're both very public gifts every Sunday morning when churches gather in most settings. Music and preaching are two prominent gifts. And they play into how we view the church. So let me tell you how it plays out. Let's say that someone asks you today. They see how you're dressed maybe. And they see you at a restaurant and they go, Hey, um, did you go to church today? Yes. And you get this question. Or in your family, you get home and you hear this question. How was church today? It's interesting how we respond to that question. How was church today? Incredible. Let me tell you. Today, our church, incredible. You see, I went to this Bible study at our church today. And I was in with a group of people who are my peers, and it was so enlightening. And I learned so much about the kingdom of God today, about what it means to be a disciple. Man, I wish you'd been there. Church was, it was incredible today. It was was powerful. I had a chance to be in a prayer group with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And our prayer time today was so incredibly meaningful and life-shaping. Church today was it was incredible. We, we actually had a breakthrough in a spiritual battle that I've been facing, and today was the breakthrough. Church today was incredible. The Lord just brought healing to us today. The, the, a friend of mine is going through this really hard time in our church and grieving, and the Lord brought healing to her soul today. At our church today, man, it was incredible. We had people who gave their life to Jesus during the week and they came on Sunday morning and they shared that decision with our church family and we celebrated with them and we gathered around them as they began their life in community and they're going to be a part of our church. How was church today? Man, it was awesome. You know, at our church today, we celebrated God's victory in our lives today, in our mission around the world. God is, is using our church to touch the lives of people in so many places, and we, we celebrated. How was church today? You're not going to believe it. Today, I actually gave sacrificially to the church today. I gave some of what God gave me, and we've been praying together for how God is gonna use our sacrificial gifts and use them to advance his kingdom. And I participated in that today. It was a very meaningful time for me today. At our church today, it was awesome. We, we celebrated the work of God in the lives of a whole brand new generation, and we got to see God's hand at work in the lives of our children. At our church how was it? Man, it was awesome. You're not going to believe. It. We had this amazing array of people at our church today. I'm talking about people from all walks of life, different races, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic backgrounds, and we all actually came together just to worship God together and share life with one another. It's amazing. This doesn't happen anywhere else in society, but it happens at my church every week. It's amazing. It's incredible. We gathered today at our church, and we had a family in our church that was struggling. And, you know, God just spoke to us today, gather around them and pray over them and bless them and love them and support them and fellowship with them today today. That's what we could say. What do we usually say? How was church today? Ah, it was all right. I mean, the music was not really very good today. I kind of felt like the music was off, actually. I, I don't know what those guys are doing on Wednesday night. You know, they're supposed to be down there worshiping and practicing and rehearsing, but I don't know today. I just didn't, it just didn't, didn't connect with me. Where were you on Wednesday? Oh, I was at the house drinking coffee in my pajamas, watching TV. But I know, I don't know. I, don't, I just think they were off today. I don't, I don't really like those songs that much. You know, they don't, they don't really speak to me. It was just too loud. How was church today? Nah, it was cold. Yeah. So how was it? Uh, you know, I mean, the sermon was okay. I'm just, I'm kind of tired of him always talking about sin and making me feel bad. I don't, I don't go to church for that. I go to be uplifted. I, I just, I want him to talk about something good. I think there's something going on in his life. It seems like he's mad all the time when he's standing up there. <laughs> I'm not sure. Interesting, isn't it? Okay, maybe it's not prophecy and tongues. But we, we still struggle with the same stuff. just looks a little different 2,000 years later, but it's still there because we're still human beings. And so the world looks in, and you ask the world, wonder how church was today? Mm, I don't know, man. I don't go anymore. They're always fighting about something, always asking for money. Interesting, isn't it? Are y'all still with me? <clears throat> okay. Here's what I'd say, y'all. Paul is looking at this church, and he's saying, okay, y'all, worship is so important. Gathering together as the people of God is so important. We've got to get this resolved. We don't need it to be so chaotic and so broken. So Paul says, let me help you. So here's what he does. He says, let me teach you some pneumatology and ecclesiology. He doesn't say it that way, but that's what he does. Then he says, let me challenge you, and then I'm going to help you answer the question." So can we do that just real quickly? Let's learn a little bit of pneumatology. Why did God give the spirit in the first place? And ecclesiology, what's the church about? So let's do this real quickly, the church. Here's what you need to know about the church. It is a spiritual organism. We are spiritual people. The church was founded upon Jesus. First Corinthians three, verse 11. He is the foundation of the church. The church was built upon the apostles and their teaching. We have what we call the apostolic witness. That's what the New Testament is. The New Testament is the witness of the apostles. Every author of the New Testament was either an apostle or connected to an apostle. That's the apostolic witness. The church is founded upon Jesus, built upon these apostles and teachers. And then the life of the church is lived out through the Spirit of God, established by Jesus as the instrument of God and establishing his kingdom on this earth, empowered by his spirit. We are not just another nonprofit. We're not just some organization that exists in Arlington. We are the body of Christ on earth. It's a spiritual enterprise, and we are spiritual people. Now, when it comes to pneumatology, spiritual gifts, all spiritual gifts are given to members of the church by our triune God. This provides the foundational unity needed in a diverse body of believers. I want you to look at, look at if you still have your Bible open, look back at verse 4. Notice the message about the Trinity. Paul says there are different kinds of gifts, but same spirit. Verse five, there are different kinds of service, same Lord. Lord is the code word for Paul for Jesus. Verse six, different kinds of working, same God. There is God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Spirit. The same spirit, the same Lord, the same God. The unity in the church is rooted in the very unity of the person of God. Our God exists in plurality. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And yet he is one God, and he exists in unity throughout eternity. So the unity of the church is actually rooted in the unity of the very person of God. We don't come up with the unity of the church. God gives it to us. Here's what happens. A.W. Tozer says, if you get 100 pianos and you tune the first piano to the standard, to the tuning instrument, tune every one of those pianos to that same tuning instrument, then all 100 of them are actually tuned to each other. But you don't start by tuning them to each other. You start by tuning them to the standard. If you get one of them tuned to the standard and all 100 of them tuned to the standard, they're actually tuned to each other. In other words, if I'm in tune with Jesus and you're in tune with Jesus, then all of a sudden you and I are in tune with each other. But if we try to start by getting in tune with each other, first, that won't work because there's too much about you that I don't like. Because I know you. And I know there's stuff about me that you may not like. So if I try to get in tune with you, why would I do that? Because I'm go- all I'm going to be able to focus on is what I don't like about you. But if I'm in tune with Jesus and you're in tune with Jesus, then all of a sudden that part about you that I don't like starts to diminish. That part about me that you don't like starts to diminish because we like Jesus so much. See, our unity is rooted in him, not us. It's a miracle, it's a beautiful thing. That leads me to diversity. The diversity of gifts, because God gives all kinds of gifts. And the diversity of gifts reflects the diversity of ministries, represented through the church. You see, the church is called to a complex ministry environment. There are many things we're supposed to be doing as a church. Well, in order to do those things, God has to provide different gifts. So the gifts are very diverse because the people are very diverse. Think about the very first church there in Jerusalem. Right off the bat, brand new church, 120 believers, filled with the Spirit of God. Next thing you know, there's 3,000 of them. Well, they were divided primarily along a particular cultural line. There were Greek-speaking Jews and Hebrew-speaking Jews in Jerusalem, and they came together in the church. And before long, there was a problem because the Greek-speaking widows felt like they weren't being cared for as well as the Hebrew-speaking widows. Y'all remember this? So in Acts 6... The apostles said, the leaders of the church said, All right, let's get some people in the church who are gifted to deal with this, and we're going to go back to doing what we do. So they brought together seven people and said, You folks, you take care of these widows. And the Bible says, The apostles said, We'll get back to the ministry of the word and prayer. And the next thing you know, those deacons started caring for the widows and the needs of the people in the church. The apostles gave themselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. And Luke says, And the church grew. In other words, The gifts are diverse because the ministry is diverse, okay? That's just how it works. Look at chapter 12. Look at verse 4. Paul says there are different kinds of gifts. Some of those gifts are public. Some of those gifts are private. But they all work together, regardless of whether they're public or private. God creates ecosystems. Look at creation. And they work together together. Well, that's how it works in the church. There are various ministries in this church. You're not called to every one of them. You're not gifted for every one of them. You support them all, but you may not lead them all. But the ministries are led by, they're fueled by, they're energized by, they're accomplished through the gifted people of God. And so the giftings of God is complex, and it matches the complex ministry environment, so there is a complexion of gifts. That's why our gifts are so different. Well, who all gets a gift? In the church. Who all gets one? Well, look at the distribution of gifts. I want you to look at verse 7. Now, to some, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. No, to each one. So, everybody is included in the distribution of gifts. Everybody gets gifts. Everybody. That means every one of us who are belong to the church, who are believers, we're baptized by the Spirit of God. And then if you look at verse 7, each one of us is given at least one gift. Chapter 12, verse 27, you're a part of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is made up of many parts. You're one of them. Now, you may have gifts that are used in private. Some folks have gifts that are used in public. That's just how it works. Um, we never know how the Spirit of God's going to do that. The Spirit of God gives gifts as he chooses. I don't know why he chose to give me the public gift of preaching. He did. It's a spiritual gift. I don't always understand it. I'll read the Bible and sermons jump out of the Bible onto the page in my study. I can't explain it to you. It happens to me every week. Facts, it happens to me every day. I have so many sermons, y'all. We just don't have enough Sundays. That's the problem. So I am full of sermons. So here's I'm going to warn you. Do not come up to me in heaven, because if you come up to me in heaven, it's going to be my chance to share all these sermons that I didn't get to share while I'm on earth. So if you see me, I'm promising you I'm going to be preaching sermons in heaven, because that would be heaven to me. So, um, but guess what? It's a spiritual gift. I didn't ask for it. It's not something I even knew I had, but the church recognized it in me, and it's what I do. It's the giftedness of God. It happens to be a very public gift. Not all gifts are. Most of them are not. Most gifts are behind the scenes. Aren't you glad we have them? You know, think about this. You know the three smallest bones in your body? Um, I don't know their technical name because I was educated in Alabama, but uh, <laughs> we called them the hammer, the anvil, and the stirrup. They're in your middle ear. It's the three smallest bones there are. How many of y'all woke up this morning and said, Oh Lord, I don't know what you got going today, but I'm just gonna tell you, I really, really need my hammer, anvil, and stirrup working this morning? Any of y'all pray that prayer this morning? Probably not. You don't even know they're working, but they're working right now because here's what's happening they are transferring the sound energy that's hitting your eardrum into communicated language so you can understand and hear. It helps you to hear. Here's what I'm going to tell you. If they don't work, you think about them all the time. Because if they don't work, then you can't hear. And they're working in obscurity. And yet, look how necessary they are. And they're the three smallest bones you have. Well, here's the point. We're all in this together. That means your gifts may be more private. That doesn't mean they're not important. As a matter of fact, if you don't do your job, we may not be able to hear. As a church, in other words, if you don't do what you're supposed to be doing, we're missing out on something God has for us. And so all these gifts work together, and every one of us has one, everybody has a role to play. So what's the goal? The goal is to make the public gifts look really good, right? No, what is the goal? The goal is we all work together for the common good. Look back at verse seven. Each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the betterment of the church, for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Why has God gifted me? Why has God gifted you? for the common good, so that the church can function effectively and we can be the instrument in God's hands to take the gospel to the world for the good of the body. You're a part of the body, each one of you. Verse 27, you're all a part of the body. So thank you, Lord, for the gifts that you have. That's why I said at the beginning of this sermon, we need your presence and your presence. We need you to bring your gifts to the church so that God can use them for his glory and it takes all of us to do it. And you know what? If you get us all together, if you get us all together, it's amazing what can happen. How many of y'all have ever been to Paris? Any of you? I'm, I'm sorry. I know y'all are Texans. Sorry. France, I mean. Paris, France. <laughs> I know how y'all are. We moved here to go to seminary. And Cindy moved. I'm from Birmingham. She's from Atlanta. We meet people at seminary. Where are you from? Birmingham. Where are you from? Atlanta. Oh, and they'd say to Cindy, do you know so-and-so? No. Do you know so-and-so? No you're from Atlanta, Texas, and you don't know so-and-so? We'd never heard of Atlanta, Texas, and so Cindy would say, well, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. Here's the typical Texas response. (laughs) So anyway, Paris, France is what I'm talking about. Okay, what's the the iconic landmark in Paris, France? Eiffel Tower, 1889, built for the World's Fair. You know, there were over 100 um, submissions, to build some kind of iconic landmark for the World's Fair. And the award was given to Alexander Gustav Eiffel. And he proposed a 984-foot tower. It was the tallest building in the world at the time. And he called it the Iron Lady. But eventually it became known as his tower when they dedicated it. He thanked the people that made it possible. In fact, he had the the names of 72 scientists, engineers, and mathematicians. All their names were inscribed on the tower along with his. He also thanked the 300 riveters, hammermen, and carpenters who put together an 18,038-piece jigsaw puzzle of wrought iron in two years, two months, and five days. He also thanked the acrobatic team. He hired a team of acrobats to train his workers so they could maintain their balance on very thin beams during strong gusts of wind. We have all of them to thank. Not only that, 20 years later, his contract ran out and the license expired with the city. So the city council met to destroy the Eiffel Tower because there was no longer a legal contract. They decided to extend it by another 20 years. We can thank them today, y'all, because you can still see it all these years later. The point is, Eiffel realized he didn't build the Eiffel Tower by himself. It required a whole lot of other gifted people. That's how it works in the church. We don't do this by ourselves. I was the pastor of First Baptist Huntsville, Alabama before I came here to be your pastor. I don't know how much you know about Huntsville, Alabama. It's home to NASA. There are more engineers than there are people in Huntsville, Alabama, if you've ever been there, okay? I knew nothing about it. I grew up in Birmingham. Birmingham is a very different town. And I had never been around government engineers, okay? A whole different breed of people. And my city was full of them. My church was full of them. And they're very hard to lead, okay? You can say to them, let's take that hill. And they'll say, Technically, in order for something to be a hill, it has to have 88 degrees of a pitch. That's about 68.4 degrees of a pitch. So, technically, that's a mound. And if you don't know the difference between a mound and a hill, I'm probably not going to follow you. Awesome. It was hard. I was struggling. So one of my young engineers called me one day and said, Pastor, can I meet you for breakfast? I said, yes, we go to breakfast. He said, I have a sense that you're struggling. I said, really? What was your first clue? He said, well, let me tell you something about us. He said, I'm a young engineer, but I came here for a reason because I wanted to work on the space program. And he said, can I tell you about all of us engineers? I said, please, please do. He said, here's the thing. If you can ever get us focused on a mission that's bigger than all of us, and you can get us all together and convince us to bring our gifts to the table, he says, you know what? We can send a man to the moon, and we've done it. Y'all, that's one of the most pivotal breakfasts I ever had. Completely changed my leadership style in that church. And I began to galvanize them around mission so that we could bring our gifts to the table for the glory of God. Well, let me tell y'all something. That's really what this is all about here. You see, we're galvanized, galvanized around a huge mission. And it's going to take all of us to do it. And we need you. We need your gifts. All gifts are needed as we come together. Because we're not trying. We're trying to do something way more difficult than put a man on the moon. See, we're not trying to put anybody on the moon. We're trying to bring heaven to Arlington. That's what we're trying to do. And that is a huge task. A monumental one. Let's you and I do it together. For the glory of God. May it be so. Let's pray together. Father, today we are grateful for our church. We thank you Lord that you brought the church into being and you've allowed us to be a part of it. We thank you for this church that you let us be invested in ministry here that we get to bring our gifts Lord here to this place and put them into practice. And so we pray that we will do just that and that you'll find us faithful and that you will use our gifts Lord in this church to bring heaven Here so that your prayer will take place. So that your will will be done in heaven and in Arlington. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.